This is episode 60 with Michael Mataluni. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey everyone, thanks for checking into another episode. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, and this week I'm really excited to have one of the leading members of Thing Charger on the line with us. I know we've been uh, going back and forth between different crowdfunding campaigns versus uh, what you do on Amazon and, and stuff like that, but I really wanted to get back to the roots of what it takes to have a successful campaign. And my good friend, Michael Mataluni, was uh, with Thing Charger since the very beginning. And they have like kind of an amazing horror story turned into a crazy <laughs> success where they, like I'm gonna let him tell it, but they uh, ran into some issues after their first campaign, ended up relaunching a second Indiegogo campaign that raised close to a million dollars and then raising close to $10 million on a private crowdfunding um, thing on their own website. So I'm just like just so excited to dig into that because I don't think we've had anyone on the show yet who's done a private crowdfund with their audience. So, like, God, I'm so excited for this. So, yeah, Michael, yeah. thanks so much for, like, coming out of the show. You're welcome, Kirsten. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So, so that we can, like, understand how you got into crowdfunding and Thing Charger, how did you get involved with the team? Because I understand you were the COO and marketing officer, so, like, huge yeah, part of that. Yeah, serious, bizarre story. So, I was actually a, uh, a podcaster. I have a podcast called Kick-Ass Dad. Uh, okay. It's at And so I launched this podcast, and it starts doing really well. And I actually stole the name from a mentor of mine who's got a, kick -ass, who's got a podcast called The Kick-Ass Life. I love it. Uh, so I stole the name, and I, I said, hey, man, I stole the name from the podcast. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. Enjoy. You know, do whatever. Uh, this is what I love about this industry. Everybody's so giving. And so, you know, it's like it's, it's not about, you know, me, me, me. It's about sharing. And so yeah. I did that and he um, was my mentor and he was actually helping me make sure the podcast uh, did well and it did very well and so I was actually interested in taking that information that I was teaching and doing a convention uh, for dads and so I called up my mentor I'm like hey would you be an investor he's like nope <laughs> I'm Aww. like okay uh, do you have any other ideas he's like yes actually I know a gentleman uh, by the name of Seymour Segnet who just did a, a, a launch on Indiegogo, and he did some crowdfunding. Maybe you could pick his brain and find out a little bit about how to crowdfund the thing you want. And I said, mm. okay. Um, and I had previously been teaching uh, people how to launch podcasts from the ground up. And so Seymour happened to be, he, he had just finished the first round of the campaign, and he was planning on launching a podcast, and it just so happened to be called the Kick-Ass Crowdfunding Podcast. He never actually launched it, but this was his vision. And so we got three guys on the phone who all have these either podcasts or visions for podcasts with the name Kick-Ass in it. So it was incredibly yeah. bizarre. Um, Seymour and I hit it off. And within about a month or so, he said, hey, man, I need you uh, to come help with ThingCharger. He's like, I'll, you know, I'll pay you a, a three-month uh, retainer. And I quit my job and uh, haven't looked back. Wow. So was this, you got involved with Thing Charger after they originally raised the 600000 on Indiegogo? Yep. Okay. Uh, so Thing Charger had raised $600,000 in Indiegogo. They did, they did very well. Uh, and they had a manufacturer, and then all of a sudden the manufacturer fell through. 
Uh, Seymour is like meticulous about the quality and the details and everything's got to be beautiful. He's like one of these like insane Steve Jobs like type brilliant minds. Yeah. Um, and everything's got to be perfect. And they just, they, they just were a flaky company. You know, and so, and this is something that's really challenging when you're going into crowdfunding is finding the right company. If you've never done it before, a manufacturing project, it's all so difficult. Um, I, uh, I forgot to ask you the most important question. What is Thing Charger? Ah, <laughs> Just so the audience understands what so it is. If, if you're watching visually, uh, Thing Charger is, looks exactly like your standard wall outlet, um, and it plugs right into the wall, and it's got two outlets. It looks just like an outlet, and then it's got two USB ports underneath, and then it's got interchangeable tips on top. Amazing. So whenever you plug it in, you put either your... I, uh, lightning tip up top or your micro USB. Um, we have USB-C coming down the line. And then you'll just put your phone right on top as it's in the wall. So you're actually charging That's wirelessly. Genius. Two USB ports underneath and you still got your outlet it's free to use. Genius. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a brilliant uh, idea. And so we, um, so yeah, so the manufacturing fell through and then it just turned into a nightmare. Um, Seymour was running out of cash to keep the company going and to, to produce this product. And so he invited me on to come help out. Uh, we, our Facebook marketing uh, person flaked on us. And then we found another Facebook marketing person and they flaked on us. And it was just like, it was, this was the end of 2014 and we thought we were never going to fulfill. We were just going to lose the whole thing. It was extremely yeah. scary. Because did you have any other external funding besides the 600K that you raised on Indiegogo? Nothing. Okay. No Did fun. you? So I, I've uh, seen and heard of what happens after crowdfunding, and a lot of the times, hardware startups tend to need to raise extra capital because of issues with manufacturing. Not just maybe in your case, it was a manufacturing failing, but um, there are problems that come up in the initial prototype that you never thought of. So it's more development costs and all these things. I'm curious, like, what was the number one thing? Because I don't, I don't understand when, when you say my manufacturer fell through. So what kind of problems did those cause on a backlog for you guys? It was awful. <laughs> we, like, we just had, you know, we were, we were a year into this thing and people were slamming us on Indiegogo and they were slamming us from every direction. I actually had to uh, thank God for my wife. She just hopped in and started helping out, started shoveling um, stuff. And, you know, we were just like, okay, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're going to upgrade you to a surge protected unit. And some people uh, were okay with that and some people weren't. And it was, it was like, you know, people with pitchforks were after us. I mean, it was really bad. I ended up building a uh, customer care department um, out of, you know, five or six people just to manage the amount of angry people that we had in our hands. And it's so frustrating because what they don't realize is, the more they yell at us, the more money we have to spend on customer service, which takes money away from production. And, and it's like this snowball effect of operations costs that begin right. to ensue. So how far, because originally, what was your promise for delivery? Was it like six months after funded or nine months? Like three months or something stupid. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> and like. It was okay. terrible. Okay. Yeah, it was just. You know, it was a brilliant idea from a brilliant guy who made a brilliant video, secured some manufacturing, and then as soon as it was funded, everything fell apart. So why, I, I don't know if you can disclose this, but why did the manufacturer fall through? 
Yeah, I can't say exactly why the manufacturer fell through. All I can say is that it was a um, quality. There were quality issues. We just couldn't get the quality oh. of product that we wanted, and they That's were interesting. Kind of and it's just, it, it, you know. And then there were other business issues with them just not compliant. It, it, they were just uncompliant to what Seymour wanted to create. Okay, and I know that you weren't part of the process of finding that manufacturer originally, but knowing what you were the shit show that you went into how did you source a oh, new manufacturer okay, yeah and whatever <laughs> we could say we'll just not say like the other explicit things um but yeah like how did you because that fell through and then you found a new one but what what did you do to make sure you didn't have this happen again when you source manufacturer number two um it was difficult we actually uh we were looking for some experts in the field. So we actually found uh, a company, we found a, a gentleman, um, actually uh, Seymour was listening to a podcast and he, and he heard a guy um, from a company called Trident Design out in uh, Columbus, Ohio yeah. and visited uh, Trident and um, he, 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 these were guys who had actually been building stuff. They, were, they had been creating products and he went out and had a look and touch and feel and taste and he was like, okay, you guys can help us out, and they ended up helping us strike a deal with one of their manufacturers who they had trust with. Uh, and these guys have been in business for 25 years. They've, you know, they have uh, subcontracts with factories overseas, and that's the thing. Like people don't realize when you do it, uh, when you're doing a manufacturing run, and if you're doing it overseas, going to, uh, you know, Guangzhou or you know, going overseas to vet factories, like people don't think about that sort of thing, like. If you if you find a good manufacturing company here in the U.S. who can subtract out subcontract out and then vet those factories for you, that's absolutely the way to go. As opposed to you going over inexperienced, not knowing what to look for. Yeah, hopefully you make it home. I mean, I... <laughs> hopefully you make it. Home. Yeah, it's funny because like the more I talk to people about fulfillment, the more they're either like um, find a company to like to go through that process to find a factory for you because they understand what to look for or others are saying, no, don't do that. Like go yourself and look at a hundred different factories. Like what, why did you choose to outsource that part of it? I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Like, I mean, the company we're working with, they, you know, they've been doing this for 25 years for us to try to find, to vet a factory because you're trusting somebody across, you know, the planet. So that's a, that's a lot of trust. And if you're going to go over there and vet factories yourself and build those relationships, I, I can't imagine how you could create those as a novice. Um, you know, if you're getting into the manufacturing business, uh, it would make sense. Or if you're coming out of a business where you are in manufacturing and you have connections and you have contacts and you have the network and you have the trust and, and built the relationships, sure. Uh, but that was not us. We had no clue what we were doing. Yeah, it's cool how you, um, like, Seymour found a company through a podcast, but have you, do you have any good resources that you know of if there's a crowdfunder who has no idea where to start to find these companies that will do the sourcing for you, you know, how do you, how do you find them? Hoffer, Trident Design. That's, that, I would point anybody to, to him. All right, I'll link uh, to that. Trident Design, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Christopher Hawker is the uh, principal there. And um, yeah, they, they, they did a wonderful job helping us design the products, um, you know, because Seymour had the vision, 
but then you have to go design these products with the, you know, the internal gadgets that uh, make the product, and then you have to send it overseas, and, and then their engineers say, you know, they either laugh in your face, or they say, okay, we can do this, and you have to push hard. Like a lot of um, these manufacturers overseas, they'll want to create products that are um, easier for them to make, and they'll push back, and that's another reason to have more uh, advocates in between you and the manufacturer, because they know when they're bullshitting, and they know when they're not. Right. No, I'm, I'm all for that. I agree with you there. Yeah, it would be crazy. I mean, again, if, you, if you've got the experience, go for it. Uh, but for us, Trident Design is wonderful. P3 International, uh, who's actually our uh, manufacturer who subcontracts out of uh, uh, Taiwan and, and mainland, they're fantastic. Cool. So I'm trying to understand now the timeline um, moving away. So you're now late on delivery, but at some point you decide to relaunch a campaign because you need more funds. Had you delivered the units prior to this? Okay, so I have seen, uh, I'm not gonna name names, but I've one of the first campaigns I was on, they hadn't delivered, and it was the same situation as you, um, hadn't delivered product, but they decided to launch another campaign a few months later to raise more money. And it just, from the PR side, looks really bad. Yeah. So why did you decide to go crowdfunding publicly to raise the capital as opposed to trying to keep it hush-hush so your backers wouldn't get even more upset? Um, because, well, I mean, the bottom line was we needed money. We were running out of cash fast. Um, and we knew that if we didn't do this, even our original backers were never going to get their product. And so if we're thinking about it in a big-picture perspective, we just knew we had to take the flat and we just we knew we had to do what we had to do you know we could have gone looking for uh independent investors um but we had never done that before we, yeah. we didn't know how to do that and so what we did know how to do was crowdfund and so we went back for another <laughs> round um because you know we were prepared well i wouldn't say we were prepared to take the flat but we <laughs> made it work we built a team um, we actually did weekly live Google Hangouts on YouTube, oh, wow. uh, where we were addressing our public every single week. If you go to YouTube and look up Thing Charger, there's like, uh, you know, uh, what probably like a hundred episodes of us just, you know, week after week after week, telling people it's coming. We're sorry. We're real. We're not in, you know, we're not on an island somewhere drinking. Uh, margaritas with your money like we're here we're working we just don't you know oh we're, we're working as hard as we can and the other thing and the other reason for that time push was we kept you know even with the new manufacturer we still had to keep pushing back pushing back and this interlocking mechanism on the top you think that's super simple um yeah but to to actually design that and make it work it's you know we had to go through three prototypes for that before we actually got it working yeah hence the deliver um the development costs and all that stuff. So I'm, um, I'd like to finish the conversation on the first one, but I want to ask you one thing where if you could give one piece of advice to startup founders doing hardware and how are very high risk of running out of cash from that initial raise, what would you, what would that one piece of advice be? Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay. Kill the dream. No. 
Uh, no, don't kill the dream. Don't kill the dream. This is, uh, you know, this changed my life. This changed Seymour's life. This was like such a cool thing, and people love their thing chargers. So I, I would never, I would never say don't do it. What I would say is, don't rely only on crowdfunded back. Get other backing as well, um, especially the second you let's say, for instance, you launch a crowdfunding campaign and you don't have backing, mm-hmm. but you do a very successful raise where you, let's say you raise something like 600, half a million or a million dollars like we did. That's the moment to go get the investor. Do the work ahead of time, create the networks and know who to go to when the time is right. But if you go as soon as you have that cash and you have a really good plan for how you're going to spend that cash and people see how successful you are and that people are buying into your idea, that's the time to get an investor. Don't wait until you screw everything up and blow it where you're running out of money to go get an investor. Because then we're like, oh, I'm not touching this thing with a 10-foot pole. Oh, man, I love that. <laughs> yeah, great advice. Um, now, coming back into Indiegogo, I think you've – I love what you did from a PR perspective because, like, I have the Indiegogo app on my phone from any of the campaigns I've been on, and I can just see, like, angry comments all the time past fulfillment if they're like late fulfilling or if the creators don't send out an update right away. So the fact that you were like on it with communication is just amazing. Um, now going into the, raising that million dollars, um, did you, can you tell me a bit about that launch and, and how that became bigger than the first one for you guys? Yeah. So we had raised originally $600,000 and in, um, so, uh, November of 2014, um, we were struggling and, and we, were, we were trying to find Facebook advertisers to come in and help us relaunch the campaign. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just kept flaking out. And it was just very frustrating. Um, so I actually said to Seymour, because I had been dabbling in Facebook marketing and looking into uh, some different things for my own business. Yeah. And, you know, he said, well, let's just, you know, let's do it ourselves. And so... I, you know, we plunked down at a couple thousand dollars for a, a, a Facebook um, marketing uh, program, and we just dove in and started learning. And so Seymour gave me a budget that that I could lose fifty bucks a day in December of 2015. Um, that was my budget to lose and to learn and to gather data. And then we started to being able to, you know, spend a dollar on Facebook, bring in a dollar, and so. We started to turn the heat up a little bit, and in January of 2016, I turned on the or 2015, I turned on the spigots, and uh, we spent like 68,000 bucks in January, brought in five million, uh, excuse me, uh, a half a million on our website. Uh, did the same thing in January and February, and eventually uh, we launched uh, some YouTube ads uh, later that year, um, and we ended up doing about 10 million dollars in um, crowdfunded uh, free revenue sales uh, in. Uh, 2015. Wow. And when you decided to, like, did you, when you were doing it on your own web page, um, did you treat it like a regular crowdfunding campaign where it's like 30 days or? No, we didn't say that. We didn't give a timeline. Uh, We just put that, you know, we let people, well, we did. In late 2015, we started uh, shipping. So we started shipping in September of 2015. And we were continuing to crowdfund at the same time we were shipping our original crowdfunder. Um, so we put up a timeline on the website that said, you know, if you contribute at this time, you should expect your thing here, this time, here, this time, here. Cool. Um, and then we were going back and filling our backlog as we were getting product into the U.S. Um, and then so by, you know, the end of 2015, uh, we had shipped, 
um, you know, like 20,000 units. And by uh, summer of 2016, uh, we have shipped about a quarter million units. That's awesome. And what were you crowdfunding? Like, was it version 2.0 or 3.0 of this thing? Great question. You're good. Um, so we were crowdfunding version one. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so we are in development of version two. You're, you're very, very, uh, very good. Okay. Very <laughs> um, and we've actually got another product line coming down the pike that actually integrates with Thing Charger. Oh. Uh, and it's kind of like a system, a charging system that uh, uses Thing Charger as the hub. So I can't talk much about that, but it's all, it is pretty exciting. Um, that's, that'll be our version two launch, which we plan on doing later this year. And we're actually looking at um, doing some, uh, you know, VC funding or um, nice. uh, angel investors now. Okay. So it sounds like when you did a crowdfunding campaign on your own domain, it was an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. um, how did you place that on your website? Like, was it on a header like Fitbit did? Like, pre-order the whatever now? We didn't say pre-order. We continued to say crowdfunding. So pre-order, so you just got to be very careful with uh, legal terms because pre-order is a very different term than crowdfunding. So pre-order means I know for damn sure that I'm going to get this to you by this date or as best to my knowledge. Crowdfunding means this whole thing may turn upside down and you might lose your investment. Um, so just be really careful on your website about how you uh, talk about it. Okay. Uh, because when you're on Indiegogo or Kickstarter, they've got your butt covered. Um, but when you're on your own website, it's very different. You've got to be really careful. So we had our lawyer go through and look at all the terminology and make sure that we were still using the crowdfunding language. We had yeah. it uh, on our story. We we're crowdfunding. So we had it throughout the website. But you'd be surprised how many people just don't read and just rush right through because when they watch the Thing Charger video, um, you know, they just get that dopamine hit. They're like, oh my God, I gotta have I one of those. This. They go and they buy and they, blah, blah, blah. and then they're like, a week later, they're like, where's my thing? And then, you know, God bless my wife and, and our entire contributor care team who are extraordinary, they would just be dealing with these crazy, angry people like, where's my thing? We're like, it's crowdfunding. And so we do <laughs> upgrades, we do refund. But that's the thing, like, if somebody wanted a refund, they got a refund. Um, we didn't hold that back. Yeah. Um, but we had some great supporters and some amazing people who were so thrilled to see us doing something like this that they were, even if they didn't realize it at the time that we were crowdfunding, they were super supportive. So it was really cool. Yeah, it's amazing how you say people don't read. Because even, um, we find this in Facebook advertising too. Did you have a problem with this where, when you were on Indiegogo, you were driving ads to Indiegogo, that sometimes people, if you didn't target certain interests for crowdfunding, they wouldn't convert? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And some this, people like, would actually convert, and they wouldn't even know it was crowdfunding. Six months later, like, where's my thing? Indiegogo. How do you not know it's crowdfunding? But they... <laughs> it's, you have to be so... Or people don't, people don't get it. It's... Uh, it's amazing, like how explicit you need to be with things. Just yeah. incredible. And yeah. um, I'm curious, though, why did you a Why did you choose Indiegogo for question one? And then question two: Why did you decide not to do Indiegogo for time number three and go to your own site? Mm -hmm. um, so we chose Indiegogo originally. God, I have to pick Seymour for him. Why did we choose Indiegogo? I think um, he had just done some research, and I think that he wanted to, this was at the end of 2013, so I think Indiegogo's a little bit of the newer kid on the block, 
they were creating some competition, and I think people were starting to find a lot of interest in Indiegogo and thought that because this is kind of the new kid on the block, this might be a better way to go. Okay. Um, and we decided to do it on our website um, because we wanted to build this beautiful website where we thought we could convert way better than Indiegogo. Um, we felt like the, you know, Indiegogo is great and all, um, and it's an awesome platform. Uh, but crowdfunding on your own website gives you way more flexibility in how you build your cart and the imagery you can show and the format. Um, the inadvertent thing that we didn't realize that was going to come was the smack in the face when so many people didn't realize that it was crowdfunding. Um, but again, you know, we managed that. We were able to talk to these folks in a way that made them feel, uh, you know, I have a hospitality background. I come from restaurants. And so, you know, this team I built, I was, I was building this team to communicate with these folks and make them feel like part of the family. And yeah. that, that was, that was really helpful. Um, we used Zendesk. Uh, so all of our, the emails came in to one specific hub and we had our entire team working directly at Zendesk. By the way, sorry, I forgot to do a sponsor plug. Uh, this episode is thankfully brought to you guys by Backerkit. If you don't know them, they're a fulfillment software tool, which I highly recommend for project creators. Um, they've helped over 2,000 backers uh, deliver products to over 3.5 million uh, creators. And it's awesome. And uh, if you want more information about them, go to backerkit.com. But our um, last episode before this was with the founder of Backerkit. And uh, I highly recommend them because I've like ripped my hair out from spreadsheets from fulfillment and stuff. See, look on your face. <laughs> you get it. We haven't even talked about fulfillment and distribution yet. That's a whole That's an entirely world. other conversation. <laughs> but like they um they approached me to sponsor my podcast. I was like, "Geez, you have no idea." Like cuz I've I've dabbled in fulfillment a little bit and I swear I didn't know about them as a solution during some of my campaigns and I spent an entire weekend trying to dissect a spreadsheet at one point. Uh, anyways, it's a huge challenge, and we did. We went with a small mom and pop kind of warehouse. Yeah, uh, and then just managing logistics through their like nineteen seventies dashboards. It was it was a nightmare. That's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of like, sorry, going back to being able to build your website as you see fit. Um, I think that one important thing to note is that anyone looking to crowdfund who doesn't have an audience, I, I wouldn't recommend doing it on your own website, but because you guys had an audience because of how much you put into Facebook ads and YouTube and everything, you had the audience that would have supported that. Um, but I've seen like, that. yeah, yeah I've seen that platform, model. Like, yeah, Indiegogo and Kickstarter is a great platform because it gets you in front of eyeballs and you can make their mailing list and there's so many different ways that they can help support you. Um, you know, now on the other hand, if you have lots of money for Facebook ads, then, that, then that's one thing Maybe. we'll get a yeah. list, um, perhaps. But, you know, for us, it was just something where we already had the momentum and the traction, I think. Yeah. So that made it uh, seem like a, a much better fit for us. Yeah, exactly. Because I've, I've had a friend do a separate thing on their website, and it just didn't, like, the numbers just were not comparable to what they raised on Indiegogo mm. at all. So I'm like, oh, a bit of a disclaimer. But... Where do you see like, where do you see crowdfunding going in the next two years? Um, that's a great question. The my biggest concern with crowdfunding is that people will get tired of um, you know 
people who don't come through. Like that's the that's the best like advice I can give to any crowdfunder. Like no matter what, make it work. Like communicate with your people, get it to them. Because if everybody in the industry does their damnedest to fulfill their contributors, the entire industry will have a great name and will continue to grow crowdfunding and this beautiful opportunity for people who never would have had an ability to get funding can get funding now. And that's the beauty of crowdfunding. And if we as a crowdfunding community don't do everything in our power to protect fulfill that. our back, to protect it, to protect our image, to protect our industry, then we could lose it. And, yeah. you know, so I think that that's really important. I think that crowdfunding will continue to grow as long as, you know, uh, the platforms as well do as good of a job as they can do of, of protecting the consumer. Um, but, you know, knowing that it, it's a risk and you're supporting somebody's dream, you're supporting somebody's idea, it's not a retail sale, you know. And I think that the more we can do to educate people about that and, uh, you know, make sure people understand this is about the entrepreneurial spirit. This is about, you know, the American dream. I mean, this is what it's about. Like, support that as opposed to thinking this is like a retail purchase. I agree, because you're building a business. And I think so many creators are, they're well-intentioned, but when they get over their heads, they completely lose sight of the reason that they were able to do this, and it's their backers. You know, they, they lose sight of like, okay, it's okay if I ignore their emails or don't send updates, but actually these are the people who you can lean on to start your Amazon store or want a real business online, you need them on your side. And you can't do that by being short-sighted and selfish when you're in over your head trying to fulfill. Like Right. And it's hard because you're in over your head. You don't have time to respond to all these backers. Putting all the money in to hire a team to respond to these backers is taking away from your ability to actually... So, like, it's a catch-22. I get it. Um, but it doesn't take that much time to do an update. It doesn't take that much time to, um, you know... to. To, to communicate, you're not going to get back to everyone uh, in most cases unless you have a whole team, mm -hmm. but you need to be doing something. You can't bury your head in the sand. You can't run away from it. This is, you created this. You have to deal with it. Yeah. I can't agree more. Man, I think I talked to you for hours about this stuff. <laughs> I love it. Mechanics of a crowdfunding campaign. That's um, amazing. Like, okay, so my last, one of my last questions is always, do you have any famous last words? But I think you covered that with that perfect um, comment about backers and protecting them. Unless if you had something else you wanted to add. But I thought that was um, gold. No, I, th I think that's it. We've got to protect the industry. We've got to protect the backers. Um, you know, and we're, we're, we were by no means perfect when it comes to protecting our backers. I mean, we fumbled the ball so many times. Um, you know, we crashed into so many walls, we scraped our knees so many times, but we always got up and we always did our very best to get back to our backers. And, you know, we, we were able to ship a quarter million units and that's pretty cool. So oh, the huge. other piece of advice I yeah. would give is make sure you're thinking about this as a business. So when you crowdfund, generally you're offering a discount, you're offering perk packages for these manufactured items that are always going to cost you more than you think mm -hmm. they're going to cost. <laughs> you're going to have less money than you thought you had. So once you take all this money in, and then produce all this stuff, and then ship all the stuff, you don't have any money left. <laughs> so as soon as you fund yourself, think like a business person. Think, oh, I've got, I've got you know, half a million dollars in liquidity. I've got an ability to go get some backers now. I got to get some funders, um, hire some experience, and do it right. 
Um, that's our, that's my biggest learn coming out of this is like, I would do so many things differently. Um, and I hope that some of the ideas that I shared in this podcast will help others not make the mistakes we made. I love this. It was like a deep dive into, I mean, this is my, I love it. Cause like earlier podcasts are like, how do you get backers? But this is like how to not screw yourself with crowdfunding. But it's not like you weren't successful. You were massively successful, but right? So it just goes to show that like big campaigns have bigger problems than smaller ones, but. Look at freaking Ryan Grepper, man, what he's dealing with. Oof. Oh, who's, who's that? Ryan? He's the um, coolest cooler guy. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Bad for that guy. I don't even want to talk about it because I feel like it'll come out wrong, but he's just, he's suffering and, you know, it's a challenge. One of the things that he did, you know, he ran into huge money problems manufacturing this coolest cooler and, you know, he had to go back to his backers and say, hey, I'll rush it out to you for a hundred extra dollars. And the backers are like, just spraying fire. Um, I get why he did it. I don't think he did, had another choice, but you know, it's like, I get it. Try to, I, I guess as a backer, I would, I would ask that people try to understand it from the perspective of the, you know, the creator, these things, you have no idea the difficulties these guys are running into. And, you know, there are a, a, a few bad apples, um, who are out there just taking people's money, but it, that is, our industry is made up of some amazing people. And I just want to make sure people know that. I love it. I always like wanted to reach out to the coolest cooler, but I just I never knew how to frame the pitch because it would be like, can we go through how not to screw up a campaign? Like, but I have no idea because that just sounds so horrible. But yeah. he has so much to teach, right? Like, oh yeah, so much to teach. I just Absolutely. don't know how to frame that without him being like, jerk. Why are you, why are you like dissing my entire business? <laughs> I think you can, I have a feeling you'd be able to frame it in a way that would make him feel like he was helping a lot of people. Maybe I will actually. You should do that. I'll do that. But this has been awesome. Um, so outside of crowdfunding or outside of like thing charger, what else are you working on right now? Um, yeah, so I'm helping other entrepreneurs launch their businesses. I do uh, Facebook advertising. I'm actually doing a lot of media content. So I'm helping businesses who don't know how to get their voice out there. It's one thing to, like, I'm, I'm very good at running Facebook ads. But, yeah. you know, if your content's mediocre and your product's mediocre, eh, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a Facebook, how good of a media buyer you are, you're not going to sell shit. Um, so I'm actually helping people create better video content for their products and services and be disruptors in the industry. Some of the um, people that I look up to um, are like Dollar Shave Club and Dollar Beard Club and yeah. uh, Squatty Potty and these guys who created unbelievable media that completely disrupts the industry. Um, at a, you know, and it's affordable. You, know, you don't have to spend a ton of money to create hilarious ads that people go, you know, like the Think Charger ad. It wasn't hilarious, but it, like people watch it and they're like, oh my God, I must have this. And it's like, <laughs> which you want. Like, don't start a crowdfunding campaign. Don't spend a bunch of me money on, me on, on media buying until you have a great, like, message and it's clearly articulated or you've got a video that just cracks people up. Like, that's what, I, that's what I'm excited about doing. So that's what I'm building. That's so cool. And uh, if people want more information about what you're doing or, like, just to contact you, what's a good yeah. Where should we so go? I've got a website uh, that's under construction right now called U Power Media. Uh, okay. Y o u p o w e r Media. Cool. Dot com. Um, 
it's still a baby. It probably won't be ready for a couple of weeks. So please uh, forgive that. Um, and then you can reach out to me directly if you're looking for uh, support with your media at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Mataluni, M-A-T-A-L-U-N-I, at gmail.com. Perfect. And direct any crowdfunding-related questions to him. I think he loves them. I do. <laughs> as well. Uh, I do. Cool. And I, yeah, and, and that's something I want. I want to help, you know, folks who are interested in crowdfunding to get their questions answered as well. So, Amazing. Thanks. Yeah, no worries. So in terms of um, those links, I'll make sure they're in the show notes. But this has been, I think, one of my favorite interviews. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah. I just love these, like, deep dives. It's just awesome. Yeah. So, like. Yeah, it's the real stuff, you know. It's like, this is, this is the nitty-gritty. This is what people need to know about. They're like, oh, my God, this crowdfunding thing sounds like a nightmare. Well, at least you're prepared. (laughs) And, I mean, it can be, but it's also, like, the most incredible thing I've ever done in my life. Like, it changed my life. I was was literally stuck in a restaurant. I mean, I love the restaurant business, and I, you know, someday I seek to own restaurants again, and I've actually got a a little... um, uh, I do do some work for for marketing for restaurants, and, and I do love the industry. But, like, I was so tied to my job and I was so sick of, like, working for somebody else and doing somebody else's thing for the rest of my life. You know, crowdfunding got me out of that. It was a huge opportunity to, to change the direction of my, my career and my business. I love that. So this has been great. And thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Kirsten. It was great. You're welcome. So, guys, if you are in the middle of planning your crowdfunding campaign, I know we just did a huge deep dive into what is after with fulfillment and all that stuff. But if you are in the planning stages, you could head over to crowdfundinguncut.com. I just created a beautiful new product launch checklist, which will map out what you should be focused on up to six months before you launch. So that's pretty cool. And if you are digging the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a honest review. It does help other creators find this information, which could save their life. (laughs) yes i agree that is true (laughs) so all right thanks so much keep us from jumping into hudson river Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.